0: It's podcast number 33 at joettecalories.com, and here's what we have coming up. I'm really looking forward to sharing this podcast with you today. Joette and I got to geek out over why we love homeopathy. So today's podcast focuses on subjects that newcomers to homeopathy might appreciate. At the beginning of this podcast, we look at how we can distinguish natural medicine from homeopathy and we also spend some time talking about how some people have a hard time accepting the fact that these homeopathic remedies are so diluted and yet still work and we talk a little bit about how the term nano for nanoparticles are more accepted today but why wait for society to catch up and accept the terminologies of homeopathy instead just use it right away and just uproot your illness and then The meat of the podcast comes from you, Joette's listeners. We get into several questions that are coming from newbies to homeopathy. All right, so here we go. Hi, I'm happy to be here with Joette, recording another podcast. Hi, Paola.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I love doing these
0: too. We say that every time, but they really are fun. It's just like a natural conversation. So it is fun. I, I really um i enjoy your mind, Joette, but I, I also very much enjoy your friendship So this is fun. Well, it goes both ways. We're taking a step back with this podcast, not a step back as in a step down, but just like we're pausing and we're looking at the big picture in this podcast. And I think it's important to do because every day, Joette, you are getting new listeners, new people that are jumping kind of in the middle of things. So this podcast takes an opportunity to look at the new person who's new to homeopathy. And for those of you who aren't new, who need to revisit the old stuff.
1: Well, not only that, Paula, but I find that it is useful, even if you're a person who's been doing this um, for 25 years. It's amazing how you will learn something new, even if you get one little pearl that can be useful. You know, interestingly, I found some tapes, and I mean tapes, little, you know, cassette tapes that I had studied on homeopathy from back in the early 80s and I found them in my closet, and I pulled them down, and I've got an old car that still actually has a tape player in it. <laughs> and so I thought, gee, why don't I see what's on here? Let's see what's, uh, what, how I think differently now. And so I've been listening to these tapes for the last several days in my car and loving it uh, because there's even if there's one little bit on aconitum that I hadn't considered before, or, one little aspect of bryonia, and these are medicines I had to memorize in order to get my degrees, so it 's not like this is something that i don 't know anything about, but it's it's there's always something more to learn from a slightly different set of of words a slightly different language, so
0: yeah, there's always something more to learn absolutely. You said aconite, and one of my favorite things to tell people about aconite that they don 't always know about, and this is something that I stumbled across. Aconite is the arnica of the eye. Yes, ma'am. And that's really cool information. And if you don't go back to the basics, sometimes you're going to be stuck with what you know, and then you don't know what you don't know. Right. So, exactly. Very good. Okay. So with our newbies in mind, especially, that uh, this is our, the structure of this podcast. So I have several questions that a lot of people who are interacting with newbies to homeopathy, um, these are the kinds of questions they're, they're getting. The first one is, how is homeopathy different from herbs, specifically herbs, and then also natural medicine? Well, homeopathy
1: is based on a lot of the botanicals, the botanical world. So there is a lot of uh, crossover in, in certain ways, but herbs or botanicals in and of themselves um, means that you're using herbs in their gross form, and in homeopathy... We're getting that herb or mineral or animal venom or any, something from the periodic table, et cetera, and it's being diluted. Now, we're not going to go into how it's diluted and all of that because that is the essence of what homeopathy is about, but it takes it to a different level. You know how when a child is um, teething and if you know anything about botanicals, the first herb you might think of would be chamomile or chamomilla. Okay. And so you get it and you make it into a tincture or you make it into a a tea and especially a tea because it's a small child. You don't want to give a child alcohol or not too much of it anyway. And um, and you make the tea and you give it to the child and it might calm the child down a bit. In fact, it often does. It it not only calms the child down, but also keeps the pain down a bit. And that's why it's calming it down. So the pain is not so grand. You got that chamomile and you get that flower and you put it in alcohol and you let it sit for a fortnight, two weeks, and now you've made it into a tincture. This is how I'm describing the homeopathic process. And now it's sitting for two weeks. And then from there, it's decanted. And then a drop of that made tincture that has the essence of the plant and the medicinal properties of the plant now diluted into and absorbed into the alcohol a drop of that is taken and put into 99 drops of, of alcohol. Now we're starting the process of making a homeopathic medicine. And I'm not going to go through all that again, because
0: as I said, we can refer to our podcast that describes that, but yes, it's diluted. That would, diluted. Be, that would be podcast number seven, where Joette really kind of breaks down the homeopathic process of taking a, something like an herb, chamomile herb tincture, turning yes. into a diluted homeopathic remedy. So we're going to dilute it, let's
1: say 200 times, because I love chamomilla 200 for teething fractious children. Mm-hmm. So it's diluted 200 times, if it's 200C, to the hundredth power. And that gives us then the medicine, chamomilla. It's always in Latin. We don't use common names. We use Latin words. Chamomilla 200C, diluted 200 times, C to the hundredth power. And now we give this to the child who is teething and something even grander happens. What happens is it's not just dealing with that child that night and allowing that child to calm down from the teething pain and the irritability, but also it softens the whole aspect of teething. It makes it so that the teething is no longer the condition. If you give chamomile 200C to a teething child who's fractious and irritable, and not able to sleep and very touchy and and every little thing bothers them and every little thing hurts and nothing makes them happy. And you give them chamomile 200C twice a day for several days, Not only will you have a child who now will be able to sleep, some people it's two days, some people, some children it's, you know, eight days. But within that framework, you will see that child will not only fall asleep easily and the fractiousness will melt away. They will no longer be irritable and kicking you and pushing off of you and being sensitive to every little uh, noise and touch or anything. But you've also stopped the action or at least reduced the action often greatly, of the pain that the child's experiencing teething. So now you've got a child who's been teething and chronically has these problems for the last six months. My gosh, when is his tooth going to come out? And finally, you give chamomile 200C, and you see the entire picture change. So it gets the essence, the medicine, the healing aspect of chamomile flowers, and by diluting it, it seems like it would go the opposite way, but there is a, an aspect of homeopathy that stimulates the mixture so that now it becomes a very potent healing medicine because it's diluted.
0: I like to think of it as because it's so diluted, it enters the body at a cellular level and we... But it's deeper. Yeah, nano, nano level. (laughs)
1: Nanomolecular. Yes, I love it. I love it. That's exactly what it is. And now in the world in which we live, nano is not an unusual word. It is understood. Mm -hmm. So it goes deeper. And by diluting it, it minimizes any toxic aspect of the plant, of which there's not much in chamomile, but brings to the fore the curative aspect. So now instead of dealing with this age-old teething this baby, my gosh, three years old, still teething every single time a tooth comes in, the whole family is up. Now you give the chamomile 200C twice a day, sometimes even three times in a day, and you will see that not only will the pain go down and the irascibility, but also the returnability of the condition.
0: Very good. And so- I guess one question that I think people have is, okay, so you started this example by saying you can give like chamomile tea. So what you're saying is herbs can cure or help uproot yes. conditions. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Yes. But homeopathy might do it more efficaciously at a yes. deeper, quicker possibly exactly. level. Exactly. Exactly. It goes deeper.
1: I mean, I've started out studying herbs. I live mm-hmm. in the country. I would gather my plants from all of, my, of the wayside and in the fields and in the woods and i'd make my own tinctures because i didn't know enough about homeopathy but once i recognized the curability of homeopathy and the depth and breadth to which it can carry a person i asked myself why am i using it in the gross form as a as a plant when i can use it in the homeopathic form and go way past what a plant can do yeah. plus here's here's another part of this picture now it opens up our world because an herbalist can only use plants that are safe but in homeopathy we can use plants that are not safe in their gross form because Mm -hmm. we're going to dilute them so many times that we have minimized or eliminated to a certain degree the toxic properties of the plant and brought to the fore the curative so it opens up the world so now roostox which is poison ivy is a fabulous medicine for arthritis now without that poisonous plant being diluted in this pharmacological, mathematical, scientific method called homeopathy, we would not have a cure or at least a help for arthritis. Osteo as well as often rheumatoid arthritis.
0: And if this piques your interest, how is it possible that we use these toxic substances and they become curative in the homeopathic preparation again i'm going to refer to that podcast number seven yes listen to that if this is i know it flies in the face of
1: of what we think is common sense but think about dilutions and how important they are dilutions matter yeah they they are a big part of our lives only the difference is this is so scientific it has been proven again
0: and again and again for well over 230 years now Well, and that's the interesting thing is, you know, whether or not society has caught up with, you know, like we were just discussing the word nano. That's kind of widely accepted now. That's something we all know about. And so now we can use the word nano. and You don't sound like a crazy person, but I think 20 years ago, if you use the concept of nano being a real thing, people would think you're crazy. Here's the thing. You know what? It doesn't really matter how it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. The fact is
1: these medicines
0: act. They work. Exactly. So my point is you can wait for society to catch up with with something that works or you can just go with it right now. Yeah. It still works. Yes, absolutely. So there is one thing I wanna discuss too though, is we have herbs. And then we have natural medicine. And I want to distinguish that not all natural medicine necessarily cures in the same way that homeopathy cures. Well, natural medicine is really just a catch-all phrase. I don't know what it really means, except
1: that, you know, does it mean chiropractic? Does it mean acupuncture, Qigong? Yeah, all of those are considered natural medicine and, and they all have their places, but I've never found anything that is as profound acting as homeopathy. And I've been searching a long time. You know, I was born in 1952, ladies. I gotta tell you, I'm, I've been around a long time. And my mother used to do reflexology on my feet when I was little, because she was into this for a long time. She took us to chiropractors. Mm-hmm. She didn't take it all the way, but she did explore a great deal of this. And not homeopathy, unfortunately. I've been exposed to this kind of information for my entire life. And it took a long time for me to find homeopathy. And I also had very poor health for a good many decades of my life. So I was always searching. It's not like, you know, I lived a charmed life where nothing went wrong. I was always searching and digging. And this is the most profound. I've never seen anything like this. And and I'm sure you can probably tell in not only my voice because of the speed at which I speak and the excitement in my voice, but also your voice too, Mm Paula. You just said today in one of our meetings here in the office that you love this. And anyone who learns enough of this to just be able to cure themselves or their family will fall in love with this. Right. You know, I always say that you think it's lovely getting pregnant and then holding your baby in your belly for nine months. I mean, it's all so romantic, it's so gorgeous. And then giving birth. A friend of mine once said it's the most profound human experience to give birth to your child. You think that's incredible? Try curing your child mm-hmm. of a condition. Talk about heady! There is nothing on this earth like being able to cure your own child and know, down to your toes, that you've done no harm. You can't say that with antibiotics. You can't say with steroids. You can't say with inhalers. You can't say with any conventional medicines. But with homeopathy. You can cure your child of something that could have been plaguing that child for months, if not years, and maybe even goes all the way back to your own family. That, my friends, is what excites
0: us about this and that we want to share this with other families. Absolutely. And it's not to say that you don't like chiropractors. You oh, I love chiropractors. Yes, no, 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 no. I think they're great. Yes, absolutely. And, and you've even told me before, you know, having other natural medicine things in your kit as a backup. Yeah, is- you need
1: all the tools you can get. Yes. But once you start learning homeopathy, many of those tools will fall to the wayside. I mean, right. I studied essential oils, I don't know, 35 years ago. I right. love them. I mm-hmm. still have them in my house. I still use them here and there. But if I want medicine, I go to homeopathy. Absolutely.
0: And I do want to point out one more distinction between natural medicine and homeopathy. And you've taught this to me, Joette. This is where I learned it from, is that homeopathy... Re-educates your immune system, your body to learn to overcome so that on the other side of an illness, be it chronic or acute, it is wiser for the illness. Whereas opposed with, you know, natural medicine can be colloidal silver. It can be, you know, it's kind of grouped into that. It could be like high doses of oregano oil that you take because you have strep throat or whatever on the other side of those types of situations, your body does not learn anything. It's you've You've used something
1: that doesn't cause harm most likely, which is a great thing, Right. but you want to up the ante. You want to go even deeper. You want it not to come back again. You want that teething episode to not be something that your child and family, has to experience every couple of months just because the child's
0: growing, popping another tooth. Yeah, that's exactly right. I remember I taught one of the study group classes, and my friend said, "Well, I always just use colloidal silver every time I get strep." And I said, "Well, did you hear yourself? Every time you get strep, how about you not getting that again?" Right. Now mm-hmm. we're not saying it'll never happen
1: again, but usually it's a lesser version. Right. Mm-hmm. So the teething might be not as extreme. It won't be as as intense, won't last as long. There'll be a larger space between each time that it occurs. Same thing with strep. You might still get a sore throat. You might still get a little strep infection, but you hit it again with the same homeopathic medicine that worked last time. And it's likely, that is the goal of homeopathy. Here's the key word, to uproot Mm -hmm. the condition. Right. Not that episode of it, the entire condition.
0: Right. Absolutely gorgeous. And I mean, I think it even gets more exciting. Like, and there's more. (laughs) Right. You might have inherited your dad's tendency to, I don't know, have bad joint. Going back to Roost Talks, that can help you get away from that inherited. weakness. Well, week. hey, let's put it this way. Everything's inherited.
1: Right. Everything is inherited. I know people don't think that way, but the moment the sperm meets the egg. I know, unless you're Adam and Eve. <laughs> right. Really, the moment the sperm meets the egg, it's done. I don't care what your politics are. That is the start of human life. And once that begins, and I know that might turn some people off and it might turn some people on, I'm of that ilk that I believe that's when the moment of life begins. And at that very moment, the two mixtures of the two DNAs are now set in stone. So what happens to that child, to that person, to that teenager, to that young adult, to that middle-aged adult, to that elderly person is all based on their DNA. So all we can do is correct it. And so if homeopathy can correct it, it means it must be affecting it.
0: You've got homeopathy. It takes, you know, toxic substances and turns them curative. It has a specific process that separates itself from just generalized natural medicine. And in addition to curing, it allows your body to become empowered on the other side of illness. It really sets itself apart from other forms of medicine. Usually the next question is, okay, how do I dose? Meaning how often do I take it? And how many pellets do I take?
1: Well, the number of pellets is determined by looking on the back of the bottle. So that's super easy. And how often to take it? Well, it's too broad a question. Are you talking about for rheumatoid arthritis or are you talking about a child's ear infection or for teething? You take it until it works. And I go into this, I'm being very broad and explaining it like that, but that's why you need to learn a little bit more about homeopathy. So these kinds of questions are answered and you know for example when our study groups meet we talk about that how frequently a homeopathic medicine should be repeated and basically you take it until it's done now how do you know that you've chosen the right one well you see improvement if you don't see improvement after x number of uses of it then you have to go on
0: but all that is very specific and you're right that it takes more learning and that's why you've done the study group curriculum gateway homeopathy Because how frequently you take it changes between an acute and a chronic. Acute, you can take it a little bit more frequently. Chronic, you have to space it out more. And then to measure improvement, again, it's different between an acute and a chronic. And that takes just a little bit of learning. So I guess that, again, separates itself from natural medicine. I think natural medicine is a little bit easier to understand. You know, like, oh, lavender oil for when you have a stuffy nose. Right. Whereas with homeopathy, it takes a little bit more learning. So another question people get in relationship to dosing is, is it safe to give my baby a remedy and what is the dosing difference?
1: Well, let's put it this way. I gave my baby and I've been at births where the newborn is given the homeopathic medicine. So as long as you have a pretty good idea of what you're doing, then yes, it's safe. Everything comes with a risk. So I'm not going to tell you it's perfectly safe. Nothing is. Mm -hmm. So I want you to remember that that if you choose a medicine, you say, wow, I know what I should be using, and you give it, and you say, well, I don't see results yet, and you give it again, and no results yet, and you give it again, you give it again, you give it again, you may cause trouble. So you have to know what it is you're treating, And you want to know a little bit more than just, let's just throw this at it and see if it sticks. Right. So you want to have a little bit more knowledge than, gee, I wonder if I can give this or not. That's where it really matters that you take this on. If this is of interest to you, I urge you to consider our study groups and our courses or or nothing else. Go to my blog. It's free. And I've been writing articles on this blog for close to nine years. And I give away exactly how to treat one specific condition at a time. And exactly what medicines they are, and how frequently to use them, etc.
0: Yeah, that is your signature style. Is you get that busy moms don't have time to learn this the long way, so you're going to teach it the shortest way possible. I try very hard to distill it down as much as I can. I think a lot of women get overwhelmed, like oh boy, I have to learn this thing called homeopathy, and it just seems so overwhelming. And I really feel like just a few hours, if you dedicate, okay, I'm going to commit to four hours of learning homeopathy this week, you're going to learn a lot to get going, even just with four hours. So, so just to be clear, then dosing for a baby, if I have a baby who is, you know, nine months old, Let's let's go to the, to the teething situation. Okay. Like I don't need to reduce the amount of pellets I physically give like the physical number of pellets like I don't give five to an adult and two to a baby because I'm reducing the dose yes that's right
1: although some places will some bottles will tell you give the baby fewer pills but that's because it's not necessary to give um, a full four pills for example you can just use two but if the baby got into the bottle and ate the whole bottle it still would not cause trouble Right. Numbers of pills, it's a lot different than what we're accustomed to.
0: Yeah, you have to kind of break that paradigm. Tell them your analogy of lighting a fire with matches. Yeah, it's like if you were to start a fire,
1: you could start a fire with one match or you could start a fire with six matches. It's still lighting the fire and that's what we're doing, is stimulating the body's ability to correct itself.
0: But of course with Tylenol, it's completely different. You really need oh, to Oh yeah, do that's da- that dose. can be
1: dangerous if you if you don't do that properly.
0: But think about it. Earlier we mentioned dilution. So these are highly diluted remedies. It's, it's kind of impossible to get an overdose from two nanos versus one nano, <laughs> you know what I mean, <laughs> or five nanos versus a hundred nanos. You know, it's kind of all the same. Yep. So those of you who are learning homeopathy, you realize that there's one remedy that does many things. So for example, we were talking about tox
1: tox is great for joint pain, for arthritis, for tendon pain, for muscle strain, for overuse. It's also great for chickenpox. When you think about what poison ivy can cause, it causes pustules and itching and restlessness. And so we can then say that it can also be used then, because that's the signature of the plant and how it acts on us as humans. It can then eliminate that by mm-hmm. using Roostox 30. C or 30x or 200c or 200x or even a 6x, 6c. We can uproot the itching and restlessness and maddening sensations of having chickenpox. Plants have many purposes. So when people say, "How is it that it could have so many purposes?" Well, plants have many purposes, Mm -hmm. and you know, if you have a stomachache, if you're thinking of botanicals, you could use oregano, you could use mint. Many other substances can be considered for one condition. Healing is not linear. We don't want to put health into little boxes so that we can say, okay, this is for this and that's for that. It's a little bit overprescribed and oversimplified. Life is a little more complex than that. And there are nuances. And we want to know those nuances. They're really fascinating.
0: So tell me if this is wrong, to kind of get it in people's minds. People are just so used to taking Benadryl for allergies, Advil for headaches. It feels like it's one drug for one thing. And homeopathy uses the whole plant or the whole mineral, the whole organism, and so it has many sides to it. But when you, when you turn something into a pharmaceutical, it's, it's very narrowed down and it's very isolated. It's a specific drug. And therefore, it tends to only work for a handful of things. Well, it's patented and yeah. it's synthetic. Otherwise, they couldn't sell it for what they
1: sell it for. Right. You That's can't cool. own chamomile. You can't own that. That's part of the earth. Right. But if you get chamomile, as they would in a, in a conventional pharmacy, not a corner pharmacy, but in the pharmaceutical industry, they get the constituents of the chamomile and synthetically mimic it. Mm-hmm. Now they can own it. Mm-hmm. And by owning it, they can patent it. By patenting it, that's how they make their income. And then they can charge anything they want, which is why you see some drugs are $3,000 for one injection.
0: So it's it's like they basically narrowed the ability of that plant that used to be so versatile and they've narrowed it down to be something specific so they can make money off of it and
1: well and they've done more that than they're mimicking it. They're synthetically yeah. mimicking it. It's not the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You now it would be like sugar is sugar. It's from the cane plant. And if you want to mimic those properties, you can end up with NutraSweet. Right. Now is that sugar? No, it's a mimic of it. It it always amazes (laughs) me that folks who are very, very fastidious and particular about what foods they put in their mouths and what foods they put on the table for their families, but when the child gets an ear infection, they toss an antibiotic in there, or they toss a steroid in there. Now, I realize, don't get me wrong, I'm not giving anyone a hard time, because a lot of times, mothers don't realize that there's an alternative. This is the
0: alternative. Okay, so here's a big question. This might be a new word for some people. What is an aggravation and how often does it happen? Well, an aggravation
1: is a word that's used in homeopathy to describe when you use a homeopathic medicine for a chronic condition. Not acute, not a near infection, not teething, not something that has a natural beginning and a natural end that's going to be gone in two weeks even if you do nothing. But for a chronic condition like arthritis or eczema or something, that the person often gets worse before they get better. And so it's frightening to many people and I don't blame them. And it is something that is found in classical homeopathy, which is why I don't use classical homeopathy any longer. I use protocols. It is one of the many reasons that I've abandoned the use of classical homeopathy for chronic conditions because I don't want to see anyone suffer any further. And it often will frighten someone enough away that they will never want to do it at all because they know how sick they can become and they're afraid that that could cause it. So I don't worry
0: about it in the very least anymore. So to use a term, you know, aggravation is this new term. So to use a term, I think that people might relate to more easily. In natural medicine, we know that there's like a detox reaction, right? Mm -hmm. Detox symptoms. And so it's like they say in natural medicine that a detox symptom is a good thing. It means that you're releasing the toxins. And then once you get past that, you'll be improved. And so in classical homeopathy, aggravation is kind of like a detox symptom. No, Mm -hmm. I would say that it's kind of
1: overshooting the, the, the mark. Okay. So it's, And the body is having to
0: compensate. I think that's the way I would describe okay. it. Okay. You're right. I, I feel like I've rarely, if ever, had an aggravation using the Banerjee protocols, the practical homeopathy that you teach. So. Yep, right. Next question is, can homeopathy be harmful if taken wrong? You've kind of touched on this, but let's talk about it a little bit more. Because we walk a fine line, Joe. We don't want to scare people from using homeopathy, but we still want them to respect it. That's right. That's That's a a good word. Yes, we want to respect. It's like water. Okay, Horney. here's the ocean.
1: Now, this is really beautiful. It's really great that you want to play in it. It's important that you learn how to swim, but you have to also understand that there can be danger associated with this if you're not prudent, if you don't know how to swim, if you go to the edge of the pier and you don't know what you're doing. There is good and bad in most things of great value. Mm -hmm. We could do the same thing with food. Salt is a very important aspect of cooking. We need to have that mineral in our foods, but we can overdo it. It can become dangerous if we use too much. On the other hand, if we use too little, that can be a problem. So there is always the chance of causing trouble if you don't
0: follow the rules. And that's why I try to make the rules very, very precise as best as I can. Which goes back to what I keep saying is your signature style to try and give us the facts so that we can take this and use it in the safest way possible. Well,
1: that's true. And you see in classical homeopathy, for those who know what classical homeopathy is, it's very vague. You could take one person as a patient and have five classical homeopaths interview that person in separate rooms within an hour of each other, and I can practically guarantee that you'll come up with five different medicines mm-hmm. for that person because it's also based on the perception of the homeopath. Now it doesn't mean that they're all wrong, right. or that any of them are wrong, or any of them. Are, it doesn't mean any of that because there are many ways to skin a cat. However, having said that, what I love about the Banerjee protocols, which are the protocols that I use now and some of them I call just plain old practical homeopathy, is that there are specific medicines we use for specific conditions. And so they are, and here's the key word, reproducible
0: results. Which is very different from classical homeopathy. Yes, it is quite different. In the sense that the same remedy will treat the same condition in everyone. Homeopathy can treat the same condition. But in classical, you'd use very different remedies to get to the same result. Yes. So like my headache remedy would be different from your headache remedy because we're different people and classical homeopathy likes different remedies. Yes. So Joette, in light of respecting homeopathy and knowing that you have to respect it and knowing that it is powerful medicine, like the ocean, right? We love it, but we have to respect it. What does proving a remedy mean? And how do we know if we are proving?
1: Let's stay within the realm of acute illness, such as okay. a f- child's fever, or otitis media, strep throat, or something like that, okay? Okay. Uh, because if we're talking about chronic, that's just, that's too complex to explain. But let's go at least the setting.
0: And you do explain chronic stuff in your courses. Oh, I you... do.
1: And I teach it on my blog as well, but we could spend a good 45 minutes just on that. So it's best okay. that we try to keep it uh, simple. Okay. Let's say a child has got an ear infection and you decide the remedies should be given is Pulsatilla. So you give Pulsatilla and there's no change. And that's acceptable. And then give it again, maybe three hours later, still no change. Do it again three hours later, still no change. Now you're going up to the fourth dose. And that's generally my rule is after the fourth dose, now you start questioning whether or not you've got the right medicine. Mm-hmm. But Let's say you've gone past four doses and you still don't see a change. And you keep saying it's got to be Pulsatilla. I just know it is. And you give 20 of these or even 10 of these doses. What you could end up getting is a child who starts acting as though they really need pulsatilla. So what that means is that the picture of pulsatilla, the need for it is a child is very needy and weepy and they have eyes that get goopy and they get conjunctivitis and they get stomach aches and they're crying constantly. They're very irritable. And you might cause that to become the problem when all you really had was otitis media before that. So it makes things much worse, but it's not permanent. You stop using medicine and it goes away and then you find the correct medicine that should have been used in the first place and you move on. So I know people are very, very worried about provings. Uh, but I don't worry about them as much as long as you follow the rules. And that's what I teach. I'm very specific about rules on my blog that we put out every week. And I'm very specific about rules in my
0: classes and my online classes and our study groups, etc. I'm pretty careful about that. Right. And that's why I always cringe if I talk to someone who's taking your class and they're breaking the rules and you shouldn't do that. Homeopathy is complex and, and your rules are there for a reason. So you should really stick to them. So I have a little pink eye story. It's funny that you mention it, where I had a, a great experience where I learned about approving. My friend's daughter had pink eye and um, we actually went to your blog and one of the remedies that you suggested was Heap Our Sulf and that's the abbreviation. I think the, what's the full name? Hepar Our Calcarea. Right. So we say heap herself, <laughs> right. For obvious reasons. <laughs> right. So she started dosing it and I think she got through maybe just four or five doses throughout the first day. And then she noticed that all of a sudden that pink eye was not only just how it was before, but there was a new symptom. It was weeping. The eye was kind of draining some fluid and also her daughter mentioned that the light hurt and that she wanted her mom to turn off the lights in the which living room. was something that hadn't been happening previously yep. two brand new symptoms on top of the pink eye and so then I went to my Materia Medica, which is something you do learn about in your courses. And actually you are coming out with the Materia Medica pretty soon here on That's your own That's right, version. I can't wait to get that out, yeah. I know, it'll be really great. I cannot wait to get it too because you've put together a bunch of other Materia Medicas you've put together in courses and it's one little enchilada. Anyways, I went to my Materia Medica, soon to be yours. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I looked up Heap Our Soul and they break it down by body parts. And so I looked under Heap Our Soul for the eye and I saw that with hepar sulf, there could be a lot of drainage and sensitivity to light was something. And so, because we were taking hepar sulf, and because the pink eye developed new symptoms that related to hepar sulf, boom! I knew we were proving the remedy. And that's so, right. that's one of the ways you can deduce. So then we stopped the remedy. And what do you do now, Joette, like to- you stopped using that medicine. Sometimes people will use
1: camphor 200 or they'll just move on. You don't want to wait too long because you got to get at that conjunctivitis. So now you go to, okay, what is presenting now? And so now we start thinking about what is the next medicine that could be most valuable and that's the way this is laid out. Mm-hmm. And so you might go to pulsatilla. Actually Pulsatilla has a lot of weepiness and it's, you know, the discharge is yellow or white and it's and, and that's what it looks like. And now they're super sensitive. So pulsatilla would be, my guess would be the next good choice. Well, that is what we did and it worked. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. But well, then you use pulsatilla thirty, you use that every four hours. If it's really severe you might use it every two hours. Mm-hmm. And I mean severe, you don't, you know, you don't say, oh gee, I just don't like this. And she's got a dance recital tonight. No, 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 no. Use it according to the method about every four hours as your benchmark. And usually by the third dose, sometimes the first dose, you see an improvement. One of the ways we know that we're witnessing improvement is that the person is better. She stops weeping. She stops being so sensitive. She gets more energy back. She feels happier. She eats a better meal. Or another way to know is that she falls asleep that's where we heal. Mm-hmm. When, when we're really sick, we need to sleep. We're just too sick to sleep. So that's not what's happening. But when you use the right homeopathic medicine, that's often what ensues. And then when the child wakes up or whomever it might be, they wake up again. And if the symptoms have returned, guess what you do? You go right back to the medicine that acted. So you give that pulsatilla again, because it just was
0: needed again. So you use it until it's done. To finish it off. Yep. So let me review here really quick then. Approving is when you have selected the wrong remedy and typically new symptoms arise related to that remedy and you can use a Materia Medica to double check. And then how do you fix the problem that you've gotten into? You can either antidote, like you said, with camphor or what is the preferred method is to select the proper remedy because the proper remedy, like in, in this story, pulsatilla, will correct the ill-chosen one. That's right. Okay, last question, Joette. What is the Banerjee protocols, and how are they different from classical homeopathy? Well, the Banerjee
1: protocols are named after doctors Prasanta and Prateep Banerjee, who have become my not only colleagues, but very dear friends. And they use protocols that they've come up with from having seen thousands and thousands of cases because they run a clinic and research center in Calcutta. But what's fascinating about them is they don't just see many patients per day. But this was uh, Prasanta Banerjee's, who was in his 80s clinic, and before that his grandfather was using these methods, and before that was his great-great-uncle. And so what we see is 150 years' worth of homeopathic physicians, and they are MDs, by the way, who use only homeopathy and see an average of 100 patients per day per doctor. And so... After a while, it becomes pretty darned clear that in 80% or 70% or whatever the number turns out to be, usually it's about 80 to 85% of all cases with this specific condition, whatever condition it is we're discussing, will be aided greatly by this particular medicine, whatever medicine has been found to be used for many thousands of people prior. So classical homeopathy is a little different, as we touched upon earlier, Classical means you're going to choose based on the person, not on the condition, whereas the Banerjee protocols and practical homeopathy that I teach is based on the name of the condition. And then, of course, we look at the symptoms. That's also quite important. Mm -hmm. But we don't go as deep into the personality, per se. We go more into what is presenting. Oh, the eye is red. There's a discharge. It's sensitive to light. The person is weepy and it's been going on for two or three days and she's got a stomach ache. There's the case. Mm -hmm. There's the conjunctivitis case. So if we don't use the first medicine that is most often considered the first level, then we can go to the second level. Or if we use the first one, it doesn't act like what happened with your friend and her daughter. That is pretty much the first level for conjunctivitis. Had there been any creamy or weepy substance exuding from the eye at the onset that perhaps wasn't truly noticeable by the mother or by you, or it was there, but you didn't give it an awful lot of credence. Had you seen that, you might've skipped right over, he and gone right to pulsatilla. So what it is, is it really exemplifies getting a very complex medicine and distilling it down to those medicines for those conditions that will work for most of the cases
0: on earth. So basically, the Banerjee protocols take a diagnosis, conjunctivitis, for example, Mm -hmm. and it does take note of some of the nuances that might be applicable to that diagnosis, perhaps. Like you were saying, if we hadn't given any credence to the weepiness, or if there hadn't been any at all, it would have helped us maybe kind of narrow down between heparosulf and pulsatilla right away. And then you apply the protocol. That's right. Mm -hmm. Super easy. And let me put it this way, relatively easy. And what I mean is that,
1: you know, I'm coming from a classical background. I studied classical homeopathy 31 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was classically trained and taught the first classical homeopathy course in New York State that was ever credit-bearing right. at a college. So I was a dyed-in-the-wool classical homeopath. And I used it in my practice for many years. But I was frustrated by it because it was not, number one, reproducible. It took too long to take the case. And number three, and this is the key for me, I couldn't teach it to families. I can't teach classical homeopathy to families unless they're willing to spend many, 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 many years learning theory one, theory two, the history. That's a big chunk to bite off. And do you mean that mostly for chronic conditions, not acute? Yes, for chronic conditions. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. But I can, I'm able to teach acutes pretty easily and always have been. But now I can teach chronics pretty easily. Right. How beautiful
0: is that? Well, I think it's important to notice, Joette, you have two kind of groups of students in your client base. You have one group that has been with you since the beginning, or at least done homeopathy since the, be- the beginning. We have Kate Burchard that we interviewed. She's a mom with Moxie that we interviewed. If you look um, through our podcast, she's one of them. She used to do classical homeopathy before, and then she's like, oh boy. But then Joette and Banerjee Protocols came on board, and it has rocked my world. It's simplified it so much. So she appreciates how much simplified the Banerjee Protocols have become. But you have a group of students that have come on the scene, and they haven't done any classical homeopathy, and they've come right into the Banerjee Protocols, and then they feel like it's complicated. So I just want to point out, remember, if if you've come on the scene kind of late in the game, straight to the candy, (laughs) it really is a lot easier now in relationship to classical homeopathy. And I think that's really important to remember and be grateful. (laughs) Well,
1: you know, it's human health and medicine is a very, very vast subject. Mm -hmm. And you could study it for five lifetimes and still not get all of it. So what we've done is gotten the complex and made it into as simple as we possibly can. And so know if you feel like, well, this is really
0: hard. Well, it could be worse. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Okay. Joa, I think you wanted to share with us kind of some closing thoughts. I did.
1: I want to mention, and I know that those followers of this kind of a group who would be listening to this kind of podcast are probably already in this court but it doesn't hurt to remind families and moms and grandmothers what we're really doing here. And so I feel very strongly that every decision, no matter how uncomfortable socially, personally, culturally, professionally, even financially, must be based on what is genuinely best for the family. Family is the core of our society and we must keep it together as tightly as we can. And at the bottom of the family pecking order is the child. And the child is the most innocent of all in our society. And it is up to us to protect and to make sure that what is put into that child's body is worthy of a human being, especially a human being in our own family. So with that, I bid you all the best of studying and learning homeopathy. Get as much free from me as you possibly can. I really don't mind. That's exactly what I love doing. If, should you decide at any point in your life that you'd like to go a little further than consider study groups, should you decide to go even further than that, then we have classes online. We've got a lot going on here and it is my passion to teach this and get this out there. I want to see homeopathy get back on the map in North America once again. Very good. That is your mission. How many
0: families do you want to get this into?
1: Yeah, we want to get to 100,000 households by 2020.
0: We're getting there. We are getting there. And it's because moms like sharing good stuff with other moms. Yeah, well,
1: that's what we women do best. And I don't want to discount men, but this really is more often in the woman's realm because she's the mother or the grandmother. And she's the one who's responsible for the well-being of the children, their health and their nutrition,
0: et cetera. Thank you, Joette. You're an awesome mom. (laughs) Thank you for... (laughs) Mothering us through this world of homeopathy. I hope that the newbies to homeopathy and the oldies appreciated this. And I think it's especially good for those of you who do have experience with homeopathy to listen to this podcast and share it with your friends when you're trying to do that. I know that I have a lot of people coming to me so what is homeopathy? And I just feel like, oh, dear.
1: <laughs> there's, there's- well, you just have
0: to explain. Yeah. Well, and I send them to this podcast. Podcast yep. number seven is a yep. great first one. And then let's say this is number two, you know, to yep. send it yep. over there. So it's great. Well, thank you, Paula. Thank you, Joette. You just listened to a podcast by we where nationally certified homeopath, public speaker, and author Joette Calabrese, shared her passion for helping families stay healthy through homeopathy and nutrient-dense nutrition. Joette's podcasts are available on iTunes, Google Play, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio.